0: He sent His Son to die for us, and He gave His Spirit to live in us, that we might fulfill His goal for our lives, which is holiness, holy lifestyle. And He's going to unfold it this whole chapter. There's all kinds of truths for us here, but the great power source of the Christian life is His Spirit. He gave His Son to die for me. He gave His Holy Spirit to live in me. His son not only set me free from the penalty of sin, but he got me out of the bondage of sin, and now his spirit is free, so to speak, to fulfill the life of Christ, that holy life that only Christ could
1: live and did live in the life of every believer. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Set Free in Christ. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: Judgment fell at the cross of Christ. And you in Christ can exult in verse one. And every Christian should. You say, I've only been a Christian just a few weeks. I don't care. How long have you been a Christian? If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Enjoy that. Get hold of that. Let that get hold of you. Uh, It is a key truth of the Scripture. And it hinges, as I said, on your position. It's not on your walk or your application of these truths. It is on Where you are, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. You remember, uh, the Bible speaks of a variety of ways. I think of how it speaks of us being clothed in His righteousness. Our old clothing was our sin. We were in sin, but we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And I think of that parable Jesus told about the wedding and how they went out and gathered the people in finally to get to the wedding, and then the king came in, and he looked at the one fellow that was in the wedding hanging around with the wedding guests, but he wasn't dressed right. He wasn't dressed for the wedding. How is it that you got in here without wedding clothes? And you remember the man was speechless. There's a lot of people hanging around Christianity, look like Christians maybe, hang around with Christians, but they're not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. There is only one way to stand in verse 1, and that's to be in Christ, if you're not in Christ, if you're not clothed in His righteousness, one day you'll be speechless when you stand before God and He sees you and He sees right through all the facades and He sees right in and He sees that you are in your sin. But if your faith, if your trust is in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ and no one can point a finger at you. Think about it. I mean, there is an accuser. You know, Satan is called, in Re- in Revelation 12, he is called the accuser of the brethren. And I know that since you got up this morning, no doubt, he's worked on you. He works on me. He accuses us, and he brings up, and he resurrects old sin and guilt. But verse 1 says he has no audience with God. Satan can't even bring any evidence before God that I was ever a sinner. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment fell on my sin. God judged Jesus Christ for my sin. And no one can produce any evidence before God of my sin. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more, the Scripture says. Isn't that good to know? I mean... There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I illustrate it when I'm talking to people. You know, in the old days when they brought the wagon trains across the prairie, one of the threats, there were many threats, but one of the threats they faced was wildfire and prairie fires. And the story is told of a wagon train coming across out there where they could go nowhere. It was just out there where everywhere, everywhere you looked is all just prairie. And they saw this tremendous prairie fire headed their way and the wind driving it toward them, and there was no escape. And the wagon master stopped the train. He knew it was futile to try to outrace the flames or get around them, anything like that. And he stopped everybody and just stopped them in their tracks. And then soon they saw, and they said, what is he doing? And he was over on the other side. As they saw the flames, they were occupied with the flames over here. They looked over here, and he had set another fire on the other side of them. They said, what kind of a wagon master did we hire? And he obviously knew what he was doing. He set a backfire, and the wind that was driving the fire toward them continued to drive this fire away from them And then after it burned a while, he drove all the train, the whole, all the wagons onto the burned soil, and they just sat there and waited for the fire to come. And they were safe because they were on judged ground, burnt ground. As a Christian, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are on judged ground. God will not punish sins twice. Just as they could be peaceful, knowing that judgment had already fallen, they were uncharred, there was nothing left to burn. So when you come to Jesus Christ, all your sin has been washed away. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions, Colossians 2.13 says. And it goes on to say, having taken them out of the way, He nailed them to the cross. The certificate of debt, all the guilt that I owed, Jesus Christ took and nailed it to the cross. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know what He resurrects in your mind, the accuser, that is. But I can tell you something, Christian. Whatever He's resurrecting telling you about your past sin or the guilt or the shame of it. It's washed clean. God doesn't see it. Oh, take verse 1 and camp on it. Enjoy it. But it doesn't end there. Notice verse 1, there is no condemnation, and he moves right into verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. No condemnation is vitally linked to no bondage, verse 2. Verse 1, there is no condemnation. Verse 2, there is no bondage. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now what Paul is after here is just this, what he's been talking about through these chapters. Everyone who is justified, verse 1, is also sanctified. Verse 2. There is a positional sanctification. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And by the way, just look at verse 2 for a minute and read it in reverse order, and you'll see what I'm after. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free. That's the connection, do you see? There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, and in Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit of life has set you free. You not only have no condemnation, but you have no bondage. Not only is chapter 3, 4, and 5 true in Romans, but 6, 7, and 8 are true of Christians. This is truth He wants to get hold of us. And you say, how does He do it, though? How does He set us free from the bondage? Verse 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. How does God set us free? He sent His Son to die for us, verse 3, and He sent His Spirit, verse 4, to live in us. That through the death of His Son, He justifies us. Through the life of His Spirit, He sanctifies us. He creates holy lifestyles. Not through our own effort, not through a legalistic kind of law keeping, but through the life of Jesus Christ lived out through His Holy Spirit. Now, just remember that. In fact, uh, I find that Christians spend a lot of time, and I think we should. Oh, how we should. Thank God for the gift of His Son. But we should regularly thank God for the gift of His Spirit. Jesus said, I didn't leave you as orphans. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to ask the Father, and He will give you another one. In fact, it's to your advantage that I go away. Remember He said that? Because if I don't go, He won't come. And until God the Son went back to heaven, God the Spirit didn't come until the day of Pentecost, you remember? And Jesus said... uh, he is with you. He will be in you, he told the disciples, you remember. And the Holy Spirit resides in every believer. And so you have, verse 3 and 4, the truths that he gave his Son to die for us, and he gave his Spirit to live in us. Now, having said that, look back at verse 3, though, and notice something. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. You see, the cross not only paid for sins, plural, but it condemned sin. It dealt with the indwelling sin. Our position in Christ is key to seeing that, and the foundation for both justification, the once and for all deliverance from the penalty of sin, and sanctification, the deliverance from the power of sin, the foundation for it is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why it is not remedial and it is not just always going back and starting over to talk about the cross. That's why healthy Christians, the more you grow, the deeper you understand the things of God, the more you love to come back to Calvary and enjoy and meditate and mull over what Christ accomplished at the cross. Now, notice he says it so bluntly. Look at verse three. What the law could never do, God did. The law could never deliver from sin. Now, the problem wasn't with the law. He's already explained that in chapter seven. And he says it here again. What the law could not do, where was its weakness? Well, it was in us. Weak as it was through the flesh. Uh, you can read it like this. Law. Nothing wrong with the law. It's holy and righteous and good. Plus flesh, my flesh, my sinful flesh, equals weakness, impotence. What the law could never do, God did. How did he do it? How did he do it? Look at verse 3 By sending his son, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. How did God deliver? By sending His Son. We're right back to the crux of the thing. And He sent His Son, God. That's His deity. But His Son came how? Look at it. In the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in the form of a man. You have the deity and the humanity of Christ wed together again at verse 3. Just like Romans started, look back at chapter 1. Uh, I think it's so good to see how Paul ties these thoughts together. The, remember, even in his introduction, he said these things. When he said, I want to tell you about the gospel of God, verse 1, the good news from God. We saw when we looked at the beginning of this book that the gospel of God concerns, verse 3, His Son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was declared with power to be the Son of God. Right back at the beginning of Romans, we saw that the gospel is all about Jesus Christ, who is God and who is man. As to the flesh, He's the Son of David, but the resurrection declared Him to be the Son of God. Everything comes together in Christ. Well, here in Romans 8, he says, God did what the law could never do by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. The incarnation, the enfleshment, absolutely vital. You see, man can't save himself. God must do the saving. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for his soul, the 49th Psalm says. So man can't save himself. I can't save myself, let alone you. And you can't save me or yourself. Man can't save himself. So God had to come. But he must be a man. Because the Word must become flesh. Because we were in Adam's race. And we needed another Adam. And God provided that Adam. The Word did become flesh. And dwell among us. And so God sent his son, but he came, and notice the careful language, not in sinful flesh. He was born of a virgin, he was the sinless one. There was no sin in him, but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like everybody else. And they said, in fact, he's a red out of parched ground, just the carpenter's son. But no, it was God in the flesh, the word become flesh and dwelt among us and he did that because God you see doesn't just forgive sin listen to me carefully strictly speaking if we're going to stand before God with no condemnation how can it be done God does not just forgive sin I said that in fact uh, I, I had another translator last week, one session, and my, my, the, one, the guy that did my translation for me most of the week was just out there in the, in the audience. And I said, God does not forgive sin. And the translator said it, and I saw the Japanese eyes just look at me. And, you know, and, I, and he told my other translator later, he said, I wouldn't have translated that. He said, until he went on, and then he said, then I saw what he was saying, and it really helped me. God does not forgive sin. Did you catch that? God punishes sin. The wages of sin is death. He must punish it. He didn't just say, oh, it's okay. He must punish it. And so he did what the law could never do. All the law can do is say, that's sin. That's sin. It can point sin out. But the law can't deliver from sin. God did what the law could never do. God sent His Son who died for the sin. God punished the sin. Judgment fell on Jesus Christ who came in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The good news is that Jesus Christ died. Sin has been judged we are on judged ground. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? Does that get hold of you? I think about it. You know, people will will uh, try to run from their sin. I'm kids will leave home because of the guilt. They'll leave and get away from it. They think people will leave a job. Maybe you have to get away from the past. People will leave a wife or several wives to get away. But like that boxer said years ago, you can run, but you can't hide. And you can run from here to there. You can move from this town to the next state to the next country. And still the guilt is there. There is only one way to have it removed, death. And Jesus Christ died for our sins and for sin. He set us free. I think of how you read of criminals sometimes, and I think we can all relate to it. I remember when O.J., when they were looking into the evidence, you know, and they were fine- You know, you throw things away, and you think nobody will ever find it again. It's just gone. And so you stuff the stuff in a paper basket at the airport, and it's just gone. They'll never find it. But even when man starts to investigate, they start digging things up, and how did they find that? And they even got the tank at the airport in Chicago that the lavatory of the airplane went into. And remember they, and the evidence started to come back. And I thought, how, how man even can find these things? And our sin comes back to haunt us and the guilt. There's no escape. You can run, but there's no hiding from the almighty eyes of God except He provided. One who will take your sin, and the Bible says he put it as far as the east is from the west. He put it, all of them, behind his back, Isaiah says in Isaiah 38. It's a picture of God putting our sin where he can't see it. God did that for us in Christ Jesus. No wonder Christians praise God and enjoy what he says here in these three verses. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins, Micah writes, into the depths of the sea. God took our sin and put it on his son. Not only did he set us free from the condemnation of it, but he sets us free now to, notice, look at the next phrase, verse 4, in order that. The requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've come full circle now, and you come to the purpose clause in order that... You see, Paul's saying we have full deliverance, not so that we might sin. He already dealt with that in chapter 6. Not so that we can put ourselves back under the law and try to do our very best. Chapter 7, no... "...in order that the requirement of the law, which was what? Holiness, a holy lifestyle. "...in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to our own strength, but according to the Spirit." He sent His Son to die for us, and He gave His Spirit to live in us that we might fulfill His goal for our lives, which is holiness." holy lifestyle he saved us he justified us and he sanctifies us in the power of the holy spirit that we might live lives pleasing to him and he's going to unfold it this whole chapter there's all kinds of truths for us here but the great power source of the christian life is his spirit he gave his son to die for me he gave his holy spirit to live in me His Son not only set me free from the penalty of sin, but He got me out of the bondage of sin, and now His Spirit is free, so to speak, to fulfill the life of Christ, that holy life that only Christ could live and did live, in the life of every believer. Justification, if you put it in theological terms, always leads to sanctification. I know there's a lot of Christianity around, and there's always been, that says that really there's no difference in your life and the life of the unsaved. That you just, you've just got kind of some fire insurance policy for later on. You just believe these truths and then you'll be fine. But no, Christianity, biblical Christianity, is salvation, deliverance. And so Jesus Christ not only takes care of the penalty of my sin, but he gives me power To have victory over the power of sin, not perfectly. Chapter seven still here, and he said, "On the one hand, with my law of my mind, I serve God, and on the other hand, with my flesh, I, I find that." But that's not the norm. That's yes, it's going to be a constant till we get home. But the norm of the Christian life can be walking in the Spirit, enjoying the fruit of the Spirit, and fulfilling the requirement of the law. Holy lives. You shall be holy, for I am holy, the scripture says. And as Christians today, we stand like Jesus said in his analogy He's the vine, we're the branches, and if we'll abide in Him, He will live His life in and through us. Christ does live in and through His children, and they do indeed bear fruit to God.
1: You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Set Free in Christ, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191. Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast.
0: And in Romans 8, we've got a new position. We are in Christ Jesus. We have new life. It's life in the Spirit. We have a new mindset. We don't think the way we used to think. We've got a whole new perspective on life. We've got a new hope. And it's a certain hope. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. That alone is enough to just stop and say, what more do we need to know if we know that much? And we do. We've got uh, new help. We don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, He says in this chapter. And we've got new security. I mean, nothing and no one can separate us from Him.
1: Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the first of a seven-part message titled, Life in the Spirit. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.